So I was talking to a, a newly minted colleague consulting with the business and um, he's a millennial, millennial. And he was talking about how millennials get their information. And he started by saying he had gone home and his parents get their news from Fox News. And he said, and, and they started when Fox was the patriotic station. And, and then as it shifted, they continued to follow Fox News and they became more and more polarized because of the news that they were getting from Fox News. He came home, they made a comment about the social structure or something, and I don't remember the issue and, it, and it's irrelevant. I, I really don't want to focus on the issue itself, but essentially he was astounded that they ex had accepted the mantra that it was the people's fault that they were there in whatever trouble they were in. They weren't working hard enough, that kind of response. And so then he got on his phone and pulled up some TikToks and some and information off Google, et cetera, but multiple sources, right? Including New York Times, things like this, showing that there were other economic conditions that could have left led to this situation. And, and he did it like within five minutes, you know? And finally, he said his parents said, well, we didn't know all that. Yeah, I see how that could that makes a lot more a lot more sense. And at least they had a more balanced approach. The real reason I'm telling this story is how impressed I was with how he he says he approaches these issues and how quickly he does it. He'd go to a major news paper, read an article, and then he'd find other sources on TikTok or somebody else who might be commenting online. And after about four or five, looking at it, he would he would get two or three themes. And he'd feel as if, now I know what this topic is about. I, I know what the issue is about. He may not know the answers, but he knows what the issues are about. If the millennials are doing it that way, and I think our problem is, is that we were trained, we had three networks, you know, when we came up. And it's a little bewildering to us at this point to have 55 or 100 possible sources, knowing that some of them or many of them are polarizing and biased. And so we don't even want to try to narrow that hundred down. So we just want to stick with our three, you know, and then when you look at the three, actually now they're four, and then see that they have spun off a network off their network. So they could be polarizing. That has compromised our, our trust in the others. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. I just want to take a minute to thank uh, Nationwide for their support and continue to appreciate their support that they provide, not just for our podcast, but for the entire veterinary profession. And we look forward to having them as part of our team for the coming year. This is going to be a very good discussion. Yeah, let's do I like it. Um, you know, it's, I've been watching uh, Ken Burns' World War II, and it talks about, first of all, taking all the Japanese Americans, the American citizen Japanese, and putting them into camps, our own version of concentration camps, um, when these same Japanese would really like to have fought to represent the United States, and then eventually creating Japanese-American specific, Hawaiian-specific 
Italians. And then doing the same thing with the black population is that they couldn't fight in the same Italians as the whites. And that when they were in the same community, there were even issues of black Italians and white Italians in Italy or Germany or whatever the case may be. They all had a common goal, which was to end the efforts in Europe to take over and create the Hitler population. But we even we couldn't even work together in those situations without racism. Well, that's how pervasive racism can be as an insidious undermining. Look, uh, it shouldn't be that surprising. I know, but I'm white privileged, so it's surprising. No, it shouldn't be that surprising if you if you understand human intellect. There were smart white people who recognized that if these black people are allowed equality overseas in an American institution like the Army or Navy or Air Force, they're going to expect it when they go back home. And I'm not changing when I go back home. I need to create similar situations over here. They need to understand that we might give you an extra canteen of of water, we may give you some food, we may give you a, a uniform and a rifle, but do not mistake that you have suddenly become a full-fledged citizen. We are still better than you. And it's important that I maintain that now here. And I, and yes, you're right. I will subjugate the overall mission to a degree so that you don't get a big head. I don't think that should be surprising at all. One would would hope that they would make a rational, logical decision, just like one would hope that we would make a decision that the infrastructure bill include childcare, because our society has developed into a labor model that requires childcare, affordable childcare. I was on the elevator in Vegas the other day uh, with a friend. And we were discussing the fact that um, one of the restaurants, I was supposed to have had a um, breakfast meeting in one of the restaurants in one of the hotels we were in. And when we got to the restaurant, it had a sign that said we were going to be closed till Thursday. Our chef is tending the, the uh, garden or something like that. And this was mm-hmm. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And the person I, I was meeting with said that uh, that restaurant was closed last week for a couple of days, too. And so we were just, I was discussing this with my friend and somebody else on the elevator said, yeah, they're, they're having labor shortages. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, he said, yeah, but it's, it's no wonder they're getting paid all kind of money from the government. That's why they can't, they won't come to work. And I looked at her, I said, excuse me. And she said, yeah, they, they can't get people to come to work because they're getting paid. They're getting paid so much. It's not worth it for them to come to work. I said, I thought those checks had stopped. And she said, well, I'm sure they saved enough money that they could still live off of it. And I'm sitting there thinking, what families does she know that has a six month reserve like that? So I didn't say anything. I said, well, I think it's more about childcare. I said, a, a lot of people who are trying to get back to work can't, can't get back to work because they have no place to place their children and, or they can't afford to place their children. She said, well, that's the government's problem too. That's the government's fault too. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. Are you saying it's the government's fault that they have children or is it the government's fault that they can't afford to have their children take care of? And she said, 
It's the government's fault because the government closed down all of the daycare centers. Luckily, the door is open and we walked out and went our separate ways. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are times when we're on a call together that you hope the doors would open and we can go our separate that was, As I walked away, I told my partner, that was the least courageous I've ever been <laughs> in terms of having a conversation because I did not want to hear another monotone response as an answer to every issue that we might bring up. So you heard, I'm sure you saw the, uh, the news clip from the United Nations where the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations basically dissed the re Russian ambassador for blaming everything that's going on on Ukraine and the United States and basically say this conversation is over. We don't support fake news or whatever she said in this house and uh, basically said she had no further things to say. Mm, no. You got to see that because uh, she had a real strong position. Yeah. And uh, I was very impressed from that standpoint. Well, that's good. Yeah. And again, watching these TV shows and watching Walter Cronkite and looking back at the, the stuff that we could glean out of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and maybe early 90s, before we had a gajillion news stations and before news was commercial, the Walter Cronkites of the world and, and the others who went to Vietnam um, and some of the reporters who are in uh, Hungary and, and Romania and Ukraine, I still try to figure out what are the facts? You know, what are we actually being shared? And what does the government actually know? Which is fine that they probably know stuff both at the NSA and the Joint Chiefs and Pentagon that they're not sharing with us. But um, it, is, it is interesting to try to assimilate the information and digest it without just wondering, how does this stuff happen? So I was talking to a, a newly minted colleague, consulting with the business, and um, he's a millennial, millennial, and he was talking about how millennials get their information. And he started by saying he had gone home and his parents get their news from Fox News. And he said, and, and they started when Fox was the patriotic station. And, and then as it shifted, they continued to follow Fox News and they became more and more polarized because of the news that they were getting from Fox News. He came home, they made a comment about the social structure or something, and I don't remember the issue and, it, and it's irrelevant. I, I really don't want to focus on the issue itself, but essentially he was astounded that they ex had accepted the mantra that it was the people's fault that they were there in whatever trouble they were in. They weren't working hard enough, that kind of response. And so then he got on his phone and pulled up some TikToks and some and information off Google, et cetera, but multiple sources, right, including New York Times, things like this, showing that there were other economic conditions that could have left led to this situation. And, and he did it like within five minutes, you know, and finally... He said his parents said, well, we didn't know all that. Yeah, I see how that could have, that makes a lot, more, a lot more sense. And at least they had a more balanced approach. According to him, he thought he was able to get them to reconsider and maybe even change their mind. It's been my experience that whenever I do that with people, even in conversations like this, if they're getting this monotone source of information, they may remember 
the additional sources for a week or two, but eventually they get re-indoctrinated and pummeled again. And it's not that important for them to, to reach out. But the real reason I'm telling this story is how impressed I was with how he, he says he approaches these issues and how quickly he does it. I feel as if our students are really good at, because of, of the way we teach them, they're really good at getting a range of resources in order to learn about a TPLO or, or what, whichever disease they're trying to learn about. As opposed to when you and I went to school, there were one or two books. It was Kirk and Edinger for internal medicine and then Slatter for surgery. But when he talked to me about how he did it and how he would, he'd go to a major, a major newspaper, read an article, and then he'd find other sources on TikTok or somebody else who might be commenting online. And after about four or five, looking at it, he would, he would get two or three themes and he'd feel as if now I know what this topic is about. I, I know what the issue is about. He may not know the answers, but he knows what the issues are about. If the millennials are doing it that way, and I think our problem is, is that we were trained, we had three networks, you know, when we came up. And it's a little bewildering to us at this point to have 55 or 100 possible sources, knowing that some of them or many of them are polarizing and biased. And so we don't even want to try to narrow that hundred down. So we just want to stick with our three, you know, and then when you look at the three, actually now they're four, and then see that they have spun off a network off their network. So they could be polarizing. That has compromised our, our trust in the others. It, it, it's interesting talking about the students or talking about the millennials. When I was visiting Brooke and had a chance to be with the students a couple of different times, it was at the beginning of the crisis in the Ukraine, and um, it just didn't seem to be top of mind. And, and I, I'm sure it was, but they have so many different distractions within the curriculum that it isn't always a discussion point as they're trying to get through the clinics or anatomy or whatever the case may be. Well, you remember that we started this with how big is your fire, right? Maybe it shouldn't be how big is the fire, but how close is the fire? Or how close are you to the fire? How close are you to the fire, right? right? You know, I mean, Ukraine is big enough to distract us because we don't have a test tomorrow. Right, right. So I did a talk on Thursday to the Ontario Veterinary College Business Club. They don't have a VBMA in you know, I just asked how everybody was doing. And I said, you know, you've got plenty of distractions both in school and in the world. And um, I hope none of you are, are dealing with this directly. And there was a, um, a veterinary student at the Ontario Vet Veterinary College from, um, from the Ukraine. So, you know, I gave her my, you know, expressed my thoughts and concerns. And I just wondered how many other, maybe second generation, maybe first generation, students we have that um, we're not acknowledging or seeing if they need some additional assistance um, to get through what's going on around them. That's an excellent point. I, I don't think I've even thought of that. And I need to think of that as a dean and see if we can subtly determine that, number one. And then number two, uh, what, what could we do about it? You know, I, I remember when Trump won the election, the next day, I had to meet with the first and second year classes. And there was palpable fear among 
many of the first generation Hispanic students that was translated by poignant questions as to what does this mean for us? And I remember saying, this is democracy. He's just the president. He's not a czar. He's not a dictator. I had no idea. I remember later saying how wrong I was. I wanted to bring him back and apologize. I wasn't wrong about how, what he could not do. He could not do what they were afraid of, but they were right to be fearful. And I have no idea if any of these students had any relationships with any of the people who suffered as a result of some of the policies that they put in place. But I grossly underestimated how far they would actually go. And from that perspective, I understand your surprise when you are surprised, because um, I mistakenly assumed that we would not go back to those measures again. You, you mentioned that these laws aren't Jim Crow. These laws are as similar to Jim Crow as we can make it, as they could, as, as could be made. Jim Crow 3.0. Yes. These, these laws are intended to be the new Jim Crow. When you can't give somebody water in line, then that's similar to a slave being whipped for passing water to another slave out in the fields because they're not working. And those laws were every bit as regional as they were, as they are now. And they're only meant to survive certain elections. They, they will consider themselves lucky if they survive a decade, but they expect to be challenged and they expect it to, to either be subtly changed, but even if, it's in, if, even if they are found unconstitutional and eliminated, they will have done their job for the election they were designed to affect. Well, right now they're designed to affect the November 2022 elections, which will then redirect where we're headed and uh, probably into a scary direction from that standpoint. So it's gonna take a while for us to recover from the last four years and then to have two years of um, probably a split house or maybe a Republican controlled house in a democratic presidency is just gonna be a stalemate for future progress, so. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.